So, how are you guys doing today? Uh, I have this question that comes up all the time in my life. I've been following Jesus for a little while now, and one of the things as I look back on my life is that Jesus will often put me in uncomfortable situations. He'll put me in uncomfortable circumstances. He'll have me engage in uncomfortable conversations. He'll even place me in and among an uncomfortable community. That's you people. And he does this. He's been doing this. And the, when I enter into these moments, I, I have this question. In fact, it's going to be our question for today. And this is the question. Will God show up when I'm uncomfortable? Here's why this is an important question. Because in those circumstances, in those conversations, in and among that community, I feel very uncomfortable. I get anxious. I get cautious. I get standoffish. I get unrepentant. I get disobedient. Because I don't want to engage in anything that makes me feel what? Uncomfortable. In fact, I live, maybe you do too, I live in an entire culture. Capitalistic individualists are told every single day that you should spend money and you should invest your time in making sure that you can live a what type of life? A comfortable life. In fact, it is the, in most of our minds, it is the American dream that most of us are striving to pursue. And so when uncomfort shows up in our lives, what is our natural tendency? And so when I feel Jesus calling me into places that make me feel uncomfortable, I want to know, bro, are you going to show up? And here's why that's an important question for me. Because on my not great days, which are most of my days, I put Jesus in the finite category. You see, I serve on my not best days. I serve a finite God. I relegate Jesus to what happens to, my, to me after I die. I make him a cute, cuddly little reminder to be nice to people or else. I relegate Jesus to he sees me when I'm sleeping. And he knows when I'm awake. And he knows when I've been bad or good. So... Be good, for goodness sakes, because Jesus is watching you. Now, I'm not sure why he's white. Jesus definitely wasn't white. The, you know, in Genesis, uh, there's a great author that said, you know, in Genesis we read uh, that God created us in his image, and then we returned the favor. <laughs> but you see, that God created in my own image, a God that never contradicts my preferences, a God that never calls into question my prejudices, a God that never puts me in uncomfortable situations. Well, that's just a finite God. It's a God I've made in my own image. In fact, some of you here today are still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, whether Jesus is who he says he is, or maybe you're still trying to figure out what Jesus even said of himself. And by the way, he's like super frustrating. Following Jesus is super frustrating because he's constantly calling us into uncomfortable situations. But here's the thing. As I wonder, okay, is, is God going to show up when I'm uncomfortable? I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to live as his disciple. He's going to call me into uncomfortable circumstances. Is he going to show up? The real question is this. Do I serve a finite God or an infinite God? 
Is Jesus a finite, bobble-headed little figurine in my life? Or is he an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, infinitely gracious, infinitely sovereign God? If he's the first, then he ain't going to show up in my discomfort. If he's the finite God version that I've made in my own image, the best that that type of a God has to offer is give me some sort of nice thoughts when I leave funerals. But if I serve an infinite God, if I serve a God that I can't be contained by my ideas and my preferences, well then that's the type of God that might actually transform my life. That's the type of God that's infinite. What type of a God do you serve? Oh, I, oh, I know. I already know. I already know what you think. You're saying, infinite, we're at church. That's the answer. Duh. But if you were to look at the tape of your life that recorded not only your actions but also your thought life, you were to play that tape back over the last week or this morning, and you were to ask yourself, what type of a God does it look like I'm serving? I, I, for me, on my not best days, it's this kind of a God, a finite God. And that type of a God ain't going to show up. Will God show up when I'm uncomfortable? Uh, there's uh, a variety of different places that God calls us into. There's three key ones, and they're this, and we'll put them up here on the screen. In our conversations, in our community, and in our circumstances. I want you to think about your conversations, your community, and your circumstances. And the conversations, community, and circumstances that you think, for those of you that are following after Jesus, the conversations, the community, and circumstances that you think Jesus is calling you into that make you feel uncomfortable. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I've asked many of you on social media to tell me when you most feel uncomfortable. Here are some of your responses. Uh, if you agree with something or resonate with something, it would be okay to say amen or yeah or mm-hmm. Let's try that last one. Mm-hmm. When are we most uncomfortable? Well, when I'm not in control. When I am around people more qualified than me in my career when I am the center of attention. Actually, the person that wrote that just had a wedding. She was the center of attention. I, I laughed when she said that to me. I'm not going to call her out and point to her because that would be uncomfortable for her. <laughs> when I'm around fake people, now I don't think they mean sentient AI or synthetic mannequin type robots. I think they mean people who are putting on airs. That's my guess. I'm uncomfortable about, you know, AI that looks like people. But I don't think that's what they meant. Uh, karaoke night. When I'm in the middle of two people that I love arguing. When I'm listening to someone who's hurting and I don't know how to respond. My family uh, during the holidays, when I'm with my family during the holidays, when I'm disagreeing with my family, when I'm talking about politics with my family, when I'm disagreeing about politics with my family at the holidays. <laughs> uh, for the dudes here who are baseball fans, you'll, you might remember this one, trough-style urinals. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. 
Uh, amen, men? Uh, when friends make poor choices and want me to co-sign their sin, being in a place where I'm not wanted, some of you feel, oh my God, just some of you feel that right now. When others cross boundaries with me, especially in the workplace, being around angry, volatile, or unreasonable people, the person who wrote that is a preschool teacher. <laughs> when people in authority belittle and abuse or intentionally hurt others, when are you most uncomfortable? You see, what's interesting is we recognize that we're oftentimes in uncomfortable conversations uncomfortable community or uncomfortable circumstances. But here's what we don't often think. Is Jesus leading me here for some greater purpose? You see, one of the things I recognize in my own life, the reason this is so important to me, is because it seems to me as I, as I read through the Gospels and see how Jesus behaves with his disciples, he is constantly leading them into uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable community uncomfortable circumstances so that he might shape them more into his image and I'm wondering if he's not doing that with me and I'm wondering if he's not doing that with you so is he going to show up when I'm uncomfortable uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 and the calling of Levi uh, but here's what we're going to do if you have your Bibles I would, I would encourage you to read along in a minute for now I'm actually going to ask you to do something a little bit different one of the things that we uh, recognize about Scripture is Scripture was actually uh, written to be read and engaged in out loud primarily. In fact, most Christians over the corridors of human history engage with Scripture only audibly, not in the written word. You just think about illiteracy rates and things like publishing and stuff like that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to take a big deep breath. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're not going to do anything weird. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this out loud, and I'm going to ask you to see it in your imagination. And so we're in the Middle East, we're in Israel, this is 2,000 years ago roughly, you're in Roman-occupied Israel, and so there's Roman soldiers around, there's a bunch of people wearing funny clothes, and then this happens. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then, Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his own house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you can open your eyes now. You see in this text, uncomfortable conversation, uncomfortable community, and uncomfortable circumstances. Let's do a little bit of a deep dive together, shall we? You'll open up in the text and it says this, Jesus went out and saw a named Levi sitting at the TV timeout. How do you feel about tax collectors and tax offices? Right? Now, real quick, there are, there are people, members of our congregation who work for the IRS, so be careful about what you say because I've given them all of your social security numbers so if they don't like you, you are in for a treat. How do you feel about taxes in general? Do you like them? No, no, nobody likes taxes. Everybody likes the services that they provide. But I don't want to pay for it. And how do you feel about going to the tax office? Okay, so you've got a little bit of a, a, a feeling about uh, how this works, right? It's, it's, in, it's welling up in your chest, but I'm gonna push it because tax collector means more than just an inconvenient use of funds in my life. You see, a tax collector, especially in this moment, they, the, Levi, we can tell by his name, was Jewish. And he, what was his job, Levi's job? T tax collector for which empire? The, the, for the Jews? No, you see, the Jews were occupied by the Roman Empire. They were occupied. They were being occupied by a military force that uh, demanded tribute. And the way that they exacted that tribute was through the tax system. And so they would pick Jews to collect tax money from other Jews for the Roman occupying force. You with me? Now, how do you feel about tax collectors now? You see, Levi is much more than just someone who works for the IRS. He's a betrayer of our people. You with me? Who's he collecting money for? The bad guys, right? Now, for the Romans in the room, sorry, that's just how it is. Uh, apologies. Now, push it further. How did these tax collectors get paid? And boy, did they get paid. We're going to see in a moment. Levi was wealthy. What you did was you worked for your Roman uh, overlord and they said you need to uh, earn this much per person and then you can charge them whatever you want on top of that and keep for yourself. You got me? And this dude's loaded. And do you think that the people that he collected taxes from liked it or liked him? They would have treated him like a pimp who made money off hurting his own people. In fact, one of the things that you see throughout the Gospels is that tax collector is always used as a term for a, a term of derision. It's never meant to elevate somebody. It's always meant to denigrate someone. If you were to say, that person keeps bad company, you would say, they hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes. <gasps> Jesus went out and saw a... Named Levi, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, screw you. <laughs> at least that's what I want Jesus to say, right? Oh, don't act like you don't think the same. <laughs> I'm just self-righteous. Okay, and he said to him, follow me. <gasps> you see, if you're a disciple of Jesus in this scene, you're Jewish, and at this moment, probably you were a fisherman 
In fact, if you read through Luke, that's kind of how the story is. So, so there's Jesus' disciples following around with him, his band of disciples. And they get to the tax office, and Jesus says, follow me. The same thing he says to the uh, upstanding Jewish people. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, what are you thinking? Now, let's push it. So leaving everything behind, he, who's he? Levi. Leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Now I'm going to push on this. Not only did Levi leave all of his rights and privileges behind, not only does he lay on the table his wealth and say to Jesus, my politics, my power, my sex, my money, Jesus, it's all yours. Which, by the way, is what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just to be a little bit religious on Sundays and, and talk about Jesus at funerals. That's bobblehead Jesus. To follow the infinite God is to say everything. I leave everything behind. It's all yours. And so he leaves everything behind. But look at the community that he enters into. Okay, so, so I, I want to push because I know some of you are feeling this right now. Levi is looking not only at Jesus, but who's with Jesus? Disciples. And how do those, especially the fishermen, and by the way, he collected taxes from fishermen, how do those other disciples feel about Levi? Come on. Do they love him? Are they like, you've chosen to follow our Lord. Welcome into our church family. <laughs> Is that what they say? No, they all get out their knife and they're like, follow me into the back room. <laughs> Come on, let's go prepare communion back in a dark, unlit place. Come on. What is Levi giving up? And, some, and I know this, especially those of you that are part of minority culture. You pay more of a price to be a part of our church family than those of us in majority culture. And with all the nasty rhetoric that's going on out there, I, I know this because you've told me, many of you, that you, can, you feel sometimes when you're here, like Levi must have felt as he's walking into this community of people completely different than him. And I just want to say, I totally respect the fact that you pay a higher price to be here. There are others of you who didn't grow up in church. You thought you'd never step foot in a church. You're surprised the place isn't burning down by the fact that you're here right now. <laughs> and I know, personally, like just for me, I know how that feels because it was, it, was, it was that way for me too. And so I can resonate with Levi walking into a room full of people who are completely different saying, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. It's a huge risk, because what could the disciples have chosen to do to Levi if Jesus wasn't looking? In fact, one of the things that we know, historically, is tax collectors were murdered frequently by their own people. They would often carry daggers with them, because it was a dangerous job. And how does Levi not, how does he know that entering into a relationship with Jesus as his disciple isn't going to end with a blade to his throat? He doesn't. So leaving everything behind. How, what did he leave behind? Everything. This is a hard conversation that Jesus has with Levi, isn't it? As a church family, we're having a lot of hard conversations. We're talking about politics. We're talking about preferences. We're talking about values. We're talking about who we are going to be as a people. We're talking about money and sex. A lot of people say, oh, you don't talk about those things in polite company. We ain't polite company. And by the way, if you're, uh, okay, yeah, boy, this is a great sermon for me, not for you. Like, if, if you are seeking 
a comfortable environment in which all of your preferences and prejudices will, will simply be reinforced, do not participate in a Christ-centered church. If you're simply looking for a place, a community, and where all of your preferences and prejudices will simply be reinforced and affirmed, do not be a part of a Christ-proclaiming church. Because part of being a disciple of Jesus is to follow him into uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable community, and uncomfortable circumstances. And he's using it to shape us. There's joy in it, but always on the back end, like a diet. It's always after that you see the delight, leaving everything behind. Oh, by the way, uh, oh man, you guys are going to hate this. So um, two weeks ago, we started, uh, we started this long conversation we're having as a church about what it means for us to live generously and how we think about our money and financial resources. Uh, we had these four questions. Listen, uh, one of the things that we said was, as a church family, we're going to take a, a few weeks here, and, and I'm asking everyone who calls Desert Springs their church home to, to ask pray through and answer these four questions. In the back of the seat in front of you, there's index cards with envelopes. Here's what I'm asking you to do. You can copy these questions down. We're emailing them out. They're on our Facebook and on our website, so you can find them there as well. I believe that we are called, as followers of Jesus, to live generously, which involves a really hard conversation. And to the best of our ability, we framed it around these four questions. And what we're asking uh, the church family to do, myself included, I'm doing this as well, is to not only ask ourselves these questions, but to honest to God answer the questions. Otherwise, what are we doing? And what we're doing is in those index cards for us, we're writing down the questions, then we're writing down our answers, then we're going to seal them in the envelope and write our mailing address and name on the front of the envelope. And here's why. Our leaders will be praying for everyone who submits one of those envelopes. We will pray for you by name every week for the next three months. Because we know this is a super hard conversation. And at the end of those three months, we're not opening the envelopes, but at the end of the three months, we're going to mail it back to you as a, as a moment for you to look back and say, over the last three months, how have I seen God at work? How have I, I seen God show up? How have I seen God provide for me? As I, and how have I experienced joy in living generously? The reason that we're not opening them is you don't have to report to me how, how you choose to live generously. You report that to Jesus. And so I'm not in the business of trying to find out how you're going to seek to live generously, but here's what I am in the business of. I want for you the joy of a generous life because the alternative is the pain and disappointment of a stingy, self-centered life. And the reason I know that, personally, as cards on the table, is I've been having this long, like, seven-year hard conversation with Jesus and my family about it. But there's joy in it, and I want us as a church family to engage in that. So I'm going to ask you guys to do that. When you're done with the envelope, seal it up, address it so we can mail it back to you, and then drop them in the metal boxes on your way out uh, maybe this week or next week uh, so that we can be praying. Okay, so the story continues. Then Levi did what? He hosted a... This guy's loaded, right? Oh, what kind of a banquet was it? Grand, right? This is a grand banquet. Where did he do it? Did he have to rent out space? No, where did he have it? At his house. Now there was a large crowd of? And others who were guests with them. What kind of people do tax collectors hang out with? The people that you don't want to hang out with. Now, not only is Jesus there as the center of the banquet, not only is Levi and all of his tax collector and other friends there. Oh, by the way, do you see how wonderful this is? 
One of the first things that Levi does is he deploys his wealth to honor Jesus and to have a party with his friends because of who Jesus is and what he's done in his life. Oh, church, we would see this city transformed if we invested more of our funds in parties centered around Jesus. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Oh, by the way, who gets invited to the parties? Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others uh, who were guests with them. Okay. You know the money conversation? You guys remember that? It was, I talked about it three minutes ago. You guys remember the money thing? Super hard conversation. This one's harder. This one's harder. And I know that this one's hard. Who's allowed at your table? First off, who's allowed at tables that Jesus is at? Everybody. Even the people you hate? So you're one of Jesus' disciples. He's, he's said yes to the Levi's invite, and now you as a disciple of Jesus are brought into a place where you are literally dining with a room full of people that you hate. You see it? To be a follower of Jesus is to be brought into uncomfortable community. Who's not allowed at your table? Oh, I don't mean that you have a sign posted. We don't do that anymore. We're polite society. But if you were to take a picture of your table every day for the rest of your life and then play the tape back, who would others say, an observer say, is not allowed at your table? Who's not allowed in your community? You know, it's interesting because as a church, church is built around dinner tables, not pulpits. In fact, the taking of communion, and it's unfortunate in our current setup with the bolted seats that we can't be around a giant table. Because when you're at table with someone, and what's so scandalous about this text is when you're at table with someone, you are saying, I am welcoming you into community with me. I love you. I accept you. Who is Jesus communicating to everyone else that he loves, accepts, and enters into community with? The pimps and the whores. Who's not allowed at your table? I mean, imagine this, right? You're one of Jesus' disciples, and you're eating off of a plate that was paid for with your grandparents' tax money that was extorted from them. How do you feel about this new community that you're a part of? You see, Jesus is showing us here the church, don't you see? Uh, Scott McKnight is an author, and he says that the church, that, that, that the kingdom of God, the church, is a community of difference. Not difference with a C, but difference with a T. Because you're different than me. And you're different than you, and you're different than you, and you're different than you. And when Jesus binds us together purely by his blood, he shows us that, number one, there's no power source strong enough to bring together a room like this. Look around. What power in the universe could bring together a group of different like us? Because I don't like half of you. And your preferences, half of your preferences contradict half of my preferences. And half of your prejudices contradict half of my prejudices. And my natural inclination is to go to war with you until I win. But Jesus has called us as his disciples into uncomfortable community. 
I'm going to push this even further. Who are the people, or the, who is the people group, or who are the people that if they became the majority of this congregation, you would choose to leave? Who's not allowed at your table? Republicans. If, this, if I was a Democrat, would you choose to leave? Democrats. If I was a Republican, would you choose to leave? Libertarians. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming out of your bunker to visit with us this morning at Desert Springs Bible Church. I kid. I know you've got a gun, so I don't want to make you upset. Um, hey, church family, listen. This is only going to get worse. If you haven't tasted the water already, we're entering it into a political season in which Republicans are at war with Democrats and Democrats with Republicans and everybody hates everybody and only, oh my God, only the power of Jesus Christ can bind a group of difference together. But only if we live as his disciples pursuing the uncomfortable community. Are you, are you up for that? Who's not allowed at your table? Oh, Jesus wants to put so many people that are different you around your table, not for them, but to shape you. So your faith can truly come alive, your joy can be expressed fully, and you can see the beauty of God in the difference. How do we do this? We, we as a church family, we're committed to helping you take your next steps. You'll see this graphic everywhere on our campus. If you are not currently getting around a table, talking with other people who are, who are striving to follow after Jesus as his disciples, right? To be in building relationships, to be around tables. There's a reason we have a table as the image. I want to encourage you to let that be your next step. Do not let today go by without committing to pursuing community with other people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is and how to live in light of his truth. The way that we can help you do that is if you take that card that John mentioned, that Next Steps card on there is a checkbox for community groups. We've got all different shapes and sizes. You can just let us know. We want to help you take that step. Also, uh, Pastor Matt and I, maybe you're not sure about some of the groups, maybe the ones that you're maybe nervous about visiting somebody else's home or one of the classes. Pastor Matt and I lead a group on Thursday nights at 6.30 out in the lobby. We would love to have you join us. We get around tables. We talk about scripture. We talk about how to live it out. We'd love to have you join us. That's every Thursday, including this Thursday, 6.30 in the lobby. We'd love to have you there. And in fact, we're just about to kick off a series uh, exploring uh, heaven, earth, and hell. And most of what we think about heaven is wrong. Not me and Matt, of course, because we're the pastors. We have to be right. But one of the things we're going to talk about is, as a culture, much of what we think about uh, what happens when we die is not in accordance with Scripture. I'd love to have you join us for that and to engage in uncomfortable community. Now I'm going to push. We're going to continue. Take a look at the text. But the Pharisees and their scribes, that's a weird word. I totally get it. This is basically the, man, this is kind of hard to articulate. They're basically the local, political, and religious power brokers. So Pharisees and scribes, they're, they're kind of the local, political, and religious, because it's a very religious society, religious and political power brokers in the community. You got me? Every one of Jesus' disciples would have been taught to respect the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay, you, you got me? Okay. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to whom? Tell me. To, to Jesus directly? to the disciples that do not want to be at this dinner, right? 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and it doesn't say others? What does it say? Everybody do it with me. Sinners. Oh, Dana Carvey, you guys remember uh, Dana Carvey's church lady bit? Could it be Satan? Why do you eat eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the eating and drinking, remember, what's that a sign of? Community and acceptance. Now, that doesn't mean it's endorsement. Jesus is not here endorsing the behavior of pimps and prostitutes. You guys get that, right? Oh, by the way, disciples of Jesus can do the exact same thing. We can share a meal with someone with whom we, like, dramatically disagree with their ethical principles. You you know that, right? And dining with somebody might actually shape us more into Jesus' image, even if I don't see Jesus in them in the moment. Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And what was the question that we started with? Will God show up when I'm what? Okay. Now, I want you to see this. I love this. Who got asked the question? And who answers the question? Jesus replied like, boom! Right? This isn't some crappy little doll. It's the infinite God of the universe who swoops in and says, what y'all talking about? And this is so, oh my God, this is so powerful. It is not those who are healthy. And by the way, this is satire. Or excuse me, sarcasm. This is sarcasm. Because he's talking about people who are definitely not spiritually healthy. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are what? Oh my God. Will God show up when I'm uncomfortable? If you serve a finite God, no. If you serve an infinite God, always. But here's the rub. When did Jesus show up? After the disciples were faithfully following him into the uncomfortable community, conversation, and circumstance that he called them to. Do you see it? When did they sense the presence of Jesus in their uncomfort, their discomfort? Before or at the end? I don't know what conversation you've got. I don't know what community Jesus is calling you into. I don't know what circumstance that you find yourself in that Jesus is calling you into. I don't know what the discomfort feels like, but I know this. I believe that Jesus uses those uncomfortable moments to shape us more into his image. And he's inviting you in. And he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. The rub is, right? You don't feel it at the beginning of the conversation when you step foot into the, at the dinner table or when you find yourself immediately in the circumstance. You find it at the end. But I think that's part of the process. I think that's part of what Jesus is doing and shaping us, you see? How do I know and how do you know that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you? He says it here. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And Jesus is called the great physician. And the way that he brings health and human flourishing is this, is he's given his life for you. Jesus loves you so much. I know that the circumstances, the conversations in the community, I know it's scary. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's, it's ridden with anxiety and fear. This is why one of the most popular phrases in scripture is fear not. And the great comforting king 
took on flesh and gave his life for you. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. And he says to every one of you who are made in his image, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You see, Jesus does not say, go out and do a bunch of good stuff, like show up at church on Sunday, and then I'll love you. Jesus says, I love you infinitely, more than you could ever dream. I've given my life for you. And he says, turn from your own way and turn to me. That's what repentance is. It's turning to Jesus. And there are many of you here today who feel sick in your soul. And Jesus is calling you, would you turn to me? You're never going to earn it. There's never a good enough for Jesus. All ground is equal at the foot of the cross. But he beckons out to you, come to me. And then he sends us out to live in light of this truth to live as his disciples, and to engage in uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable community, and uncomfortable circumstances.